This is episode number 285, Having Courage, Marital Satisfaction, and Parenting a Toddler with My Husband and I. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, expanding the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. Can you say microphone? Microphone. What's your name? Bunny. The first week of each month, I bring to you a solo episode. Typically, it is about a research topic that follows one of the themes of the show, but occasionally I throw in an episode with my husband and I talking about whatever. And in the last two years, some of those episodes have been about parenting. And if you want to check out the ones that we've recorded when our son Bradley was really little, you can go to the show notes and you can find that. But for today, I thought it would be really fun to get Matt back on the mic and to just sit down and have a conversation about the last year or so of our lives. Our son is turning two on March 15th. The due date for our baby girl is March 18th. We moved to Squamish, British Columbia from Kelowna. We moved our entire family. Matt switched to working remotely. I haven't been able to race or leave the country until just recently, and and I'll be racing again this year. There's just been a lot of things that have happened, and we wanted to share with you what we've been thinking about and also just some things that have been going on because through our earlier journey with Bradley being a baby, we wanted to be transparent about how we were parenting, how we were finding things. And now that we have a toddler, we talked about some pretty important topics like the courage to move and make changes in your life. We talked about having marital satisfaction whenever you have little kids, because that can be a really important topic and really challenging for a lot of people. And we talked about just a few other things like Matt becoming a runner and doing the Squamish 50K and why I started running about a year ago. My feelings about having had taken three years off of racing and coming back this summer to my first races and how humbling that is going to be. And we also talked about why we decided to have a second kid and our feelings about this new baby coming soon. We certainly don't have all the answers, but the idea was just to show you that you're not alone or if you're looking to just hear somebody else's experience, because a lot of times most of us are parenting and living our lives in a vacuum and only sharing highlight reels. We just wanted you guys to kind of hear what we've been up to, and hopefully you can find some insight if it's helpful or just find some common ground. Big thank you to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon and your donations on PayPal. That does not go unnoticed every single month, and that goes to helping pay my amazing audio producer, Roma, who has been doing this since episode one, and this is episode 285, so he's been there for the long haul. And also my assistant, Rebecca, who makes sure that this podcast gets uploaded on time, that the graphics look good, and she also helps behind the scenes getting guests booked on the show. So thank you to those of you donating to my work. That is patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And you can also find the PayPal link at sonyalooney.com slash PayPal. And if that doesn't sound good to you, just sharing the show with your friends and hitting that subscribe button makes a really big difference to us and leaving reviews on Spotify as well, which you can now do. I really appreciate all the messages you guys send me. It really does help because this podcast is something that I absolutely love, but it's also really hard. People ask me all the time, like you've done 285 consecutive weeks in and out no matter what. And (laughs) how do you come up with different topics? How do you stay on top of it? And it isn't an easy thing to do. So thank you so much. It always is really nice to hear that you're enjoying this content and then it's really helping you in your journey because that's why I do it. 
Our podcast sponsor for this episode is Inside Tracker. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, I'm sure that you've heard me talk about them. I have been using their data-driven blood work since 2017, and now they also offer DNA testing. A lot of times we might be feeling off and we want to go to our doctor to get some blood work done, but really the reference ranges that are shown on that blood work is basically just to keep you alive, not to optimize your health and performance so that you can be a top athlete or you can have the best sleep of your life. So Inside Tracker actually has different goals that you can set, and then it sets the reference ranges of your blood work with over 40 biomarkers now to help you make lifestyle changes to optimize those. If you're wondering about your ferritin levels, your hormone levels, your lipid profile, your A1C, like there's so many different things that you can look at. You can look at your inflammation, your C-reactive protein, having access to this type of information, and even just getting one test so that you have a baseline to refer back to can be really helpful. I've been really happy to have all of these tests because you do lots of blood work when you're pregnant. They look at things like your iron and all of these other things. So being able to look back and say, what am I at when I'm at my best? What was I at in my last pregnancy compared to this? It's been helpful to have that blood work. You can find all of that at mo- and more at InsideTracker.com slash Sonia to get 25% off. That is InsideTracker.com slash S-O-N-Y-A to get 25% off and support the show. And last, I haven't talked about the Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy in a while. The Moxie and Grit Mindset Academy is an online course that is self-paced that I launched in 2020. And it is all the mental skills and tools that you need to thrive in biking that can also be applied to your daily life. Talk about things like visualization, how to set goals, which you've heard me talk about on this podcast. We also talk about building confidence and self-efficacy, how to deal with race day nerves and anxiety, how to have a growth mindset, and so much more. You can get that at moxieandgrit.com. That's M-O-X-Y and grit.com. And click the Mindset Academy. You can also pick up really fun socks and apparel there. That is my apparel company. Or you could go to sonyalooney.com and find the Mindset Academy there. A lot of people who aren't even cyclists have taken that course and have found great benefit in it. All right, let's not waste any more time getting into the juicy stuff. Here is myself and my husband, Matt Iwanis. Well, welcome back to the show, Matt. It's been a while. I'm so excited to be here. I actually should have looked to see when the last uh, like parenthood podcast we recorded was, but it was when we still lived in Kelowna, which actually isn't that long ago, but it's been a while. I recognize the kitchen table, but the surroundings are a little bit different this time. Yeah, so we might as well just jump right into that. First of all, I wanted to just sit down and record with you. I was so excited because you and I talk, but whenever we record these podcasts, it's just super fun to just be able to talk about a lot of different things. Um, And right before this, we hit record, people might be interested. We were just talking about emotional intelligence and Daniel Goleman. And if you're interested in emotional intelligence and just how that can be more important than IQ in business, but also just in your life and in your relationships, you should check out Daniel Goleman. It's G-O-L-E-M-A-N. Yeah. So our surroundings have changed, as you mentioned. So last time we recorded, we were in our really small kitchen in Kelowna. We lived in a character home built in 1929, a small two-bedroom house. We had our washer and dryer in our kitchen, <laughs> and we would sit down and record after little Bradley went to bed. Bradley is still little, but not quite so little, and now we are in Squamish, BC, and we now live in a bigger home to accommodate a growing family and two remote office locations. And when we look out the window, we see beautiful mountains and we're close to trails 
and we have so many awesome people in our neighborhood. So things have changed a little bit. Yeah, it feels really different relocating the whole family to a whole new community. The nice thing about moving to Squamish for us is that we've been traveling to Squamish and spending time here for years in advance. So we really knew the community. We had friends and contacts and we knew the neighborhoods and we knew to where we want to live. And we had a really good sense of what to expect when we got here. So it wasn't really a shot in the dark and that was really purposeful. When we considered moving here years ago, or at least we thought, wow, wouldn't it be amazing to move here? It's because we'd come here numerous times mountain biking and and racing and traveling to just hang out and, and ride the amazing trails. But there was a bit of a journey between that and actually deciding to take the plunge and, and move from Kelowna, which is a, a beautiful place as well. But uh, it's certainly been a really, really nice change. Yeah. Like I think moving and re- relocating your family is not a small task. And also the changes that you've had to make in how you work and how actually COVID-19 has allowed you to explore those options. But the main reason that we wanted to move is because we realized that we were missing a really key component in our lives to happiness and longevity. And that was having a community that you are a part of. And I had that when I lived in Boulder, Colorado. I lived there for almost a decade and I had so many great friends and I felt really ingrained in the community there. But then when I moved to Kelowna, I tried. I went on so many different friend dates. I went to so many different organizational things across, you know, business to cycling to all all these different things. And every time I made a friend, they would move. And it just was so hard to make a sticky friendship. And that, that doesn't mean that there's not great people there, but we just could not, or I could not find my footing there. And it was really difficult to go from having this great community to having basically no friends for seven years. And something that we started reading about is Dan Buettner. Dan Buettner's book, The Blue Zones, I've mentioned that on this podcast numerous times, but it's communities where people live till age 100 and like, what are the things that they're doing? And community and social connection is one of those. And that was a piece we were missing, but we were doing everything else right. And then when it came to lifestyle medicine, and those of you listening to the show who have heard a couple of the lifestyle medicine docs on here, it's not just about plant-based nutrition, it's about six different elements. And one of those elements is social connection. And it was this piece that was just missing. And we kept thinking, okay, well, we don't want to leave Canada, so where are we going to go? And it's hard, too, when you think about what's the long-term prospects of having a family and raising raising a family, and what do you want their experience as kids to be, and, and your experience as parents to be, and what kind of behavior do you want to model? Like, if you're engaged in your community and happy, and you feel like you belong— that's going to really send a different message than some other type of, you know, not saying that we felt this way, but maybe that you didn't feel connected to your community, you weren't engaged, and you didn't have friends. And and what's that, you know, as a parent, you're trying to, quote, live your best life to provide an example for your little ones. So that was a big part of the decision-making process. And yeah, so I'm from Kelowna originally. That's where I grew up. I, I have lots of old friends there that, uh, you know, you have that sort of bond of they know you because way back in the day you had this shared experience or you played this sport with them or whatever. And those are great friends to have and I'll always have those. And thankfully for me, my business is still based in Kelowna. So I go back once a month and I get a chance to go and play, you know, basketball with the guys I haven't played basketball with for the last couple of weeks and see those friends I haven't connected with. And so I still get a chance to maintain those important relationships that I still have there. But being in a new town that has... I'd say as a community, a much closer value system to what we have than Kelowna did. 
just based on interests and likes and and those kinds of things, it's made it so much easier because every one of your friends or neighbors has has similar shared experiences or sh- uh, similar desires to do things. So it's really easy to make a connection. Hey, why don't you join me for this? Or why don't we go doing that? Or why don't we go join that group? Or it's just made it so, so easy. And another big reason for our moving was the community in general is filled with a lot of young families. And we, of course, have a young family. So it's made it really easy. We know lots of kids in our own neighborhood, like there's a handful of them that are within a couple of months of our little guy. And the parents are within a couple of years of our age. And there's a bunch of shared interest. And again, where we came from, there was those people there, but as a bigger community and it, they were sprinkled around, they were harder to find. Where in a smaller town that really is younger and focuses on the things we like, they just are sort of everywhere. It's been so easy. Yeah, it takes a lot of courage to make big changes in your life. And for me, it was a little bit easier to say, hey, let's move to Squamish because I can work anywhere, mountain biking and mountain biking content and everything about the outdoors is a huge part of my life and my work. But for you, it took a lot of courage. Like you're the CEO of your business and you decided everybody else is still in Kelowna for the most part. And you decided I'm going to make this big change. How did you decide to do that? And where did you find the courage and the decision-making process to do that? Because a lot of times people wouldn't make that decision that you made or that it would just be too hard to make that decision. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of parts to that. I think part of it is being comfortable stepping out of the norm and knowing that not everyone's going to feel comfortable like you do. So you're going to have people just, well, what were you thinking or what are you doing? And I can't understand. And just being okay with that kind of response and moving ahead because you believe that's one of your core values. But you also have to be reasonable about it. So one of the the big things that helped me do this was there's a positive to COVID is, is COVID because a lot of our technology that had been sort of lying dormant, like Zoom and a bunch of other digital technologies, weren't those technologies hadn't been well adapted or adopted by either for my clients or by my business. And because of COVID, we've had to all get used to using those things. And so there's still, there was some a lot of thought about, okay, well, how do I use the technology that's available to make sure that, that everything's going to function properly? What kind of physical commitment back and forth can I make and should I make for my business and for my family? And then once you put that just simple equation down, okay, is this feasible? Yes, it's feasible. Then it just takes courage and going, okay, well, other people, some people are doing this, certainly in in our town, lots of people have moved to Squamish because they love Squamish, even though they might work in a different city, but not, it's not, that's still not the norm, even though people hear about it, it's still not the norm. So in, in my business, it, I'm the only one doing that from such a distance. There's a little bit of distance between a couple of our offices, but, uh, yeah, you just sort of have to be okay walking your own path a little bit, but planning and being thoughtful about it at the same time, not just throwing everything out the window and, and jumping in. You, you do have to spend some time thinking about it. I didn't hear the answer, though, about where the courage came from. I heard you just say you just have to have courage. Ooh, putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's that's an interesting question. I think, I mean, first of all, it comes from practice. Like, Courage is easier the more you employ it, I suppose. But when you make big life decisions, they're always scary, whether it's leaving a job, leaving a relationship, you know, starting a business, starting a relationship. A lot of those things, I mean, and those are just two examples, but there's moving different countries. I mean, all of these things take an incredible amount of courage, but I think it comes down to practice, like just having a sense of conviction that that you want to live 
the life that you're going to look back on when you're 90 or 100 and be, you know what, I, I did walk through those doors that opened that I wanted to walk through, even though they were hard at the time. But I do believe the courage gets easier. But I, again, I think it's trying to think about when you're at the end of your life looking back, how are you going to feel about this decision? Are you going to regret that you didn't take an action you could have taken? And then jumping in and just going for it. Yeah, I, I think that there's also an even deeper layer there of I'm going to be okay no matter what. And if the ground falls out from underneath me with all these decisions I'm making, I am still okay as a human. I still have worth as a human. I still am able to do things in my life and, and shift. And that takes practice to realize that about yourself. But I think like be brave, do epic shit is one of my, you know, my slogans or my mantras. Yeah. Being brave doesn't mean that you don't feel fear. It doesn't mean that it's not hard. It doesn't mean that you doubt yourself. It doesn't mean that you could completely fail, but knowing that you have that trust in yourself and who you are and that you know what your values are and you're making decisions based on those values, I think that really helps with courage. I would 100% agree. And I would also add that, you know, thankfully in our relationship, we talk about these things all the time. So I know that my values and your values are 100% in alignment. So when you and I are making big decisions that do take courage, we have confidence that we're going to be okay because the things that make us okay aren't a dollar figure in our bank account, a certain type of you know thing that we own. It's who we are as humans and how we interact and our ability to believe in ourselves, our ability to believe in each other, that we can work hard, we can take care of each other, we'll be okay. And the most important thing is is having confidence in that, in your relationship and in yourself. Yeah, so I want to take this now into kind of the parenting realm because I think it was last week we had Emily Oster on the podcast, who's an economist, and her the podcast was all about data-driven parenting and her one of her books called Crib Sheet, which is basically all the information on raising kids under five and all the big decisions that you have to make and whether the things that you have heard are based on like anecdote or if there's actual data behind it. But one of the things that she talked about in her book that was surprising and that I brought up was that kids in the data actually decrease marital satisfaction. And I remember reading that actually before we even had kids, when I was going into analysis mode of, you know, should we have kids or not? And that surprised me. And I don't know if that's that's if that's the case for everybody, but I've been just trying to reflect on our own marriage and Bradley's turning two next month. Like have... Has there been a decrease in marital satisfaction in our marriage? And that's like a really personal question to answer and to even bring up. But there's also like complications with even how you would analyze that question because Bradley was born March 2020, the start of the pandemic, when the world completely changed, like how we live our lives completely changed. And it's hard to say, you know, if there's something there that doesn't feel quite right, is it because we are not traveling, we're not racing our bike, we're not doing all the things that we were doing our entire lives and relationship up until this point, or is it because you had a kid? And to to narrow that down, you know, into other places, when there isn't a pandemic, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. But you and I talked about this, Matt, we said, if you already have a strong foundation and you have a kid and somebody else told us this, it actually makes things better and there's opportunity there. But I would say, if I'm being completely honest, like the hard, the hardest part is that you and I don't get to have adventures together like we used to. Like even on the weekend, 
it's it used to be we'd always go out together riding our bike we'd always go out together doing stuff and now we're like trading off all the time and that's normal I wouldn't say that's a decrease in marital satisfaction but I would say that I I miss my buddy and I miss being able to do those things and I'm excited about this coming year because we're trying to put things in place so that we will travel and race our bikes and also get to spend time together. I'm also trying to think, and I want to hear from you in a minute, but I'm also just trying to reflect other things. Like your kid does become the central focus of your relationship unless you try to actively make time for the two of you. And you and I, I feel like have done that. We've tried, we try really hard to make time where we're talking about how, our, how we're doing and not only be talking about our kid, but our kid is a wonderful addition in our life that is really fun. And it's something that we get to share together and co-parenting is really fun. So has it decreased marital satisfaction for us? I would say, no, it hasn't decreased it, but it has changed how we do certain things. And that's to be expected whenever you add a little human and that needs to come first. Yeah. Thankfully I would agree. Cause if I didn't, then, <laughs> then, we didn't talk about this before and Matt this didn't would even be know a, I was going to A whole ask. different type yeah. of session. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My, my feeling is, is much the same in that you can scan your life for the positives or negatives. And if you have a really strong relationship that's fulfilled and and you you feel happy with yourself and yourself with your partner, adding in a, a child changes the dynamic absolutely. It completely drops a bomb into the middle of it and you try and figure out how everything's gonna fit together afterwards. But it's just different and it's not worse. It, it is, there's all these amazing moments that you get to have with your partner staring at this little human that came out of nowhere, so to speak. Well, <laughs> I know where it came from and it was way less painful <laughs> for me than it was for you. But this little human's arrived and they're amazing and incredible and fun and funny and cute and all the things that as parents, I don't think we talk about enough. We just talk about, oh yeah, I, 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 I can't do this and I don't get to do this and I used to do that and I don't. I think that's a screening thing. And I think it's real. Like we all have given up those things. Like I miss my ride buddy. I miss being having adventures on the weekend and, and riding. Do you want to ride four hours, five, seven? Uh, it, when's it going to get dark? Let's just keep going. Like those, those days are on, put on pause at the moment because of where we're at with our family. But that's not the whole story. That's just one little piece of the story. And I feel like perhaps if I had, or we had a relationship where I wasn't happy with myself in the relationship, and I was eking out time on my own to fulfill those needs that I felt better about myself and I needed to get away to do that, having a child would make it really hard because those few moments that I needed for me would be taken away because it, I'd be re, you know, recommitting my time often to uh, the kid or whatever. So I think we've heard this from many friends that have great relationships. Just having kids just made it more fun. I mean, it's hard in lots of ways, challenging in lots of ways, but everything in life has that to it. The, the really fun things tend to be really hard and really challenging, and that's totally okay. So yeah, I feel like our relationship is, uh, yeah, it's not like my quote, marital satisfaction is not gone down. It's, it's really good. It's different than it was because we have these completely different shared experiences now. That's really amazing. And, and we'll have more of the ones like we did before when the time in our relationship uh, is right for that. So yeah, uh, thumbs up on that one. Yeah, I also want to add, you know, with the narrative and the way things have gone in just our awareness in the last year or two is like thinking about, you know, where you have extra privilege in your life. And I do think that if you have, you know, financial stability, like we both have jobs that are very flexible where we get to like basically 
we, we have commitments that need to be done, but we get to choose our own hours to, for the most part, or to some degree. So I think that having that adds a high degree of ease to find that joy in your marriage. And if you had to you know, work a certain number of hours and you had no control over your time and over your schedule and, you know, you're both just completely stressed out all the time, I could definitely see how that would decrease marital satisfaction and that would be incredibly difficult. So I would say that we are coming from a place of privilege whenever we talk about, oh, you know, we, we do have a high degree of marital satisfaction. But that said, you know, I do think that there's other things that come up that you have to think about. And it doesn't mean that we don't feel frustrated or, you know, any of those things on a given day. But a couple of things that have been helpful for me is that as a female, like women do more. Like when you have a kid, that's just how it is. Women do more. I'm sure like that might be different on a small scale, but just generally like all the, all the things I've listened to, all the things I've read, it just, that's what happens. And even in the pandemic, more women quit their jobs to stay home with kids. Men weren't quitting their jobs to stay home with kids whenever there was no childcare and no school and all those things. It's just, that's, that's the fact of the matter. So for me, like trying not to expect things to be equal all the time, that's been really helpful because when I expect things to be equal and then they're not, I get frustrated. And just understanding that in our relationship and how we've, we've, we've talked about these things too. It's not that it just, oh, you know, it just falls on Sonia to do these things. It's no, we've, we've talked about this. We've planned this. So having communication around that, not expecting things to be equal, not expecting to have equal energy around things as well. And then something I've learned from you, Matt, is not keeping score. And that's something that my family does is like everyone keeps score and they like get mad at each other and everyone's yelling at each other and they remember forever who is keeping score. And that's something that I, over the years, you know, before we had kids have had to learn to let go of. And it's been really helpful because I learned that from you. Yeah, I think that's something that at the end of your relationship, because <laughs> it will end, will be a problem if there's a lot of scorekeeping. I mean, obviously, if someone's com- not participating at the level the other person expects, then you have to have an honest conversation around that. But there's there's always going to be moments in time, days, weeks, months, where one person isn't going to be able to participate supporting the household in the way that maybe they want to or that the other person wants to. And it might be temporary because of external commitments or other kind of pressures or whatever. So it's trying to give each other the space to know that it's it's out of balance and it's intentionally out of balance and it's going to swing back and forth. Some days, you know, one person's going to pick up the pieces and the next day the other one is. So, and again, in a partnership, there is no such thing as things being perfectly equal, right? So you try to find a, a true partnership where you support one another where you can and you can leverage each other's strengths. And if you're constantly chipping away about how your partner isn't good at things, that's going to be just, un, even if your relationship survives that, it just won't be a happy place to be because you'll be, again, scanning for all the ways that the person isn't meeting the things that you th- wish they would. So yeah, there's, you definitely want a supportive partner. You want to be able to say to them directly, I need your help, or I'm feeling frustrated, or, or those are important conversations to have, rather than just the, the tally sheet of, hey, you forgot to take the garbage out, or you forgot to you know, put your toothbrush away. It ends up being these little nitpicky things that people explode over because there's a much bigger conversation that never happened. Yeah, and I think, I didn't do this on purpose, but I think that goes back to that emotional intelligence thing that we were talking about earlier, and also being able to communicate. And I think both of those go hand in hand. And also like nonviolent communication is a really 
great book. And I had Orin J. Sofer on the podcast where it's about a mindful approach to nonviolent communication. But Marshall Rosenberg is the initial, like the main guy who wrote about that and has the initial book about nonviolent communication. So yeah, learning how to communicate or even to say, hey, like I'm feeling frustrated because of XYZ right now. And we have had that like, and that's been really helpful to be able to have a space where you can openly communicate. Not that we're like relationship experts and, you know, all those things, but I just going down the rabbit hole of marital satisfaction and how like we're doing it and what's working for us. If that's helpful for anybody listening, it might be completely unhelpful and not useful at all. But yeah, those are just some things that have been helpful for us. Yeah. I think also it's, I hope we're not, and I don't think we're giving the impression that it's just been easy and we're so happy and it's just the best thing ever have kids because nothing changes. Yeah, there's lots of lots of difficulties, lots of hard things, and it's not always easy to communicate and you do get frustrated. And But if you have the skills and you've, you've done the work on yourself, your chance of having a better outcome is way higher. So yeah, it, it, generally speaking, it's been great for us and, and we're super excited about it. Yeah, I think it was uh, Jesse Itzler, who's someone that I really enjoy following, and I like his books, and a great guy. And he's married to um, Sarah Blakely. And he was saying something like, one of the questions he asked is, how can I make my partner's day easier? And if you have a lot of resentment for your partner, and you know, it's, you're struggling, like, it's really hard to want to make their day easier, because you're thinking, well, what about me? But if you're coming from a place of feeling mostly good, asking like, what can I do to make my partner's day easier? It actually feels really good. Like I actually feel expansion in my chest and it's like, I breathe a little bit easier even just thinking about that. Cause it makes me happy that I can make somebody's day a little bit, somebody that I care about you a little bit easier. Yeah. So let's shift to talking about running. That's kind of a, a hard 180. And then we'll go back to talking about our second baby that's coming next month, <laughs> <laughs> which I was very excited when it ticked over to February 1st, because I, I could finally say, woohoo, next month is when the baby's coming. Because pregnancy, it, it just takes forever. It's just so long. <laughs> <laughs> so like I have stopped running around probably 28 weeks just because it was just making my pelvis too sore. But we were both running consistently and you still are since, gosh, November. Well, for me, it was October, November of 2020, I think. And for me, it was February, or January, January of 2021. Yeah. So what made you decide to become a runner? Like you're still a cyclist, but you're, Matt did the Squamish 50K in the fall, which is an incredibly difficult race. And Matt and I were out riding, it was a couple of years ago, and it was happened to be on the same day as that race. And we kept seeing these runners on the course. And I kept thinking to myself, this is absolutely insane that someone could run this 50 kilometer distance on these trails. Like these trails are hard to get down on a mountain bike, let alone running. Who in their right mind would or could do that? But then I started thinking, well, I think I kind of want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And that sounds really cool. And I didn't do that because I am pregnant. But Matt did it. And he did it in October. It was his first ultra running race. And he did awesome. Were you 10th or 11th in your... I think I was 11th in my category, yeah. Yeah, and the weather conditions were absolutely outrageous. And I've learned the term atmospheric river since moving to Squamish, which I had never heard of before, but it's a it's a rainy, very rainy climate. And I still am not 100% sure what that means, but it's like this weather system that's like a river. And it just means that you're going to get lots and lots and lots of rain. So, So yeah, I'm doing all the talking, but Matt did his first 50K and I'm just very proud of him. But yeah, like talk about your running journey. 
Uh, yeah, I think part, again, part of it came to moving to Squamish where like the trails here are so burly and steep and a lot of the really, I mean, there's like some of the world's best mountain biking is here, but some of it is so technical and gnarly that you're climbing up stuff on ropes or, or not. I mean, the ropes mean you've been to a place that someone's gone before you and put up a rope, but there's lots of really remote, wild stuff you can't, you just simply cannot ride. No one can ride. And if you want to get to them, you're hiking. And then you're, if you're hiking, you might as well run it. So yeah, it was just one of those things about let's, if you want to be doing some awesome backcountry, like true backcountry adventure, being able to run just opened up a, a, an amount of freedom. So that was really why I wanted to start running that and Sonia was going to start running. And, you know, if she's running and then of course she says, well, if I'm going to run, I'm going to get really good at it. And she hired an amazing coach and, <laughs> and I'm seeing the gap that was already wide, getting wider and wider on me. <laughs> so <laughs> I jumped in as quick as I could, got the same coach and started running. But yeah, th so that was my, the reason why I wanted to start doing it. And it's been funny because I, back in university, I played basketball. And I would run as cross training for that. Like you just you know, a couple of times a week go out for a run in between training sessions. And I never really did any, you know, structured training around running. And then I got into cycling and started to understand like endurance training and, and structure and all those things. But then I stopped, like I used to play, you know, basketball more frequently, but I pretty much in the last seven or eight years stopped. Sorry, Matt played basketball at a really high level in university and then played men's league after that off, off and on. Yeah, I, I played in, you know, a couple of different men's leagues and, you know, we are provincial champions in Canada, in BC at a couple, there's a couple of different levels of that. So I was, you know, playing a lot of basketball and, and quite competitive. But that being said, I stopped doing that and was just cycling. And it was shocking how, how hard it was at the start, how sore I got and how long it took me to get over injury. It took me probably three months of fits and starts of doing 20 minute runs and easy runs again. I'm, I'm you having, were road running though for all of that. Yeah, the road is the devil just in general, but <laughs> the trails are amazing. Psychologically, I, you know, Sonia's the opposite. She loves road running, but I just have a hard time running on the road mentally. Oh, I, just, I love running anywhere. Yeah. I don't love specifically road running, but. <laughs> okay, there we go. So at any rate, it took me a long time to get my body into the kind of, get the muscles and ligaments and everything into the kind of shape where I could do the type of runs I wanted to do and not get hurt. So it really, and then we moved mid-year last year. So this is January. I started running, got the coach going, injury, injury, injury. Uh, and then we move in June. So basically got kind of to the point I was getting fit. And then there was about a month in June where nothing much happened because of the move. And then it was only October, beginning of October, where this race was coming. So I only really had, you know, a few months of training to get ready for this 50K. So it was really just focusing on that. And truthfully, I was doing my longer training rides going, runs, sorry, <laughs> see, training runs, not rides, really thinking, how am I going to do this? Like, I'm going to have to run twice the distance, twice the time of my last longest training ride, uh, or training run. And I was really not sure how the, the day was going to go. And I was really, really stoked that, I had a much better time than I thought. Even on my best estimate, I beat that time. So kudos to my coach, David. <laughs> uh, David was awesome, super supportive. And I followed his training plan as closely as I could. Yeah, and made it through an injury-free, super happy. Felt good the day after. Like, that was amazing. It was set, For me, it was seven hours and 23 minutes, which is, to me, at that point and, to the, and today is still, like, crazy that I ran that consistent amount. Like, for three-minute stop time, that was it. So yeah, I was, I'm really proud of that, surprised by that. And I'm, now that I've continued to run a little bit more past that, I'm starting to feel, oh, actually this feels kind of natural now. It's not like I'm forcing myself 
into being a runner. So yeah, that's that's the journey. It's actually been really fun and yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, Matt's a really crazy downhill trail runner. Like where we live, <laughs> it's pretty technical. And just like whenever you come to BC for mountain biking, it's kind of feels like a different sport. And I basically had to relearn how to mountain bike, even though I was a pro mountain biker when I moved to BC in whatever, 2014. And the same goes, I think, for trail running. And like Matt and I have gone on some trail runs together and he just a goat. He just like runs down a cliff like you would on like on your bike. You have to ride your bike down these cliffs and running. I just don't even understand how to do that. So there's a gap in our skill level between um, for our downhill trail running. And I've gotten better. But man, just watching Matt on the downhill, I just don't even know how he does that. (laughs) That's funny. I think just growing up and it's probably the same for a lot of mountain bikers growing up in an environment where it's steep and gnarly and technical, you just, you feel around it a lot. And again, I, like I said, I never really ran that much, but as a kid, you go play outside, you just run down stuff, I guess. And you just start running down it as fast as you can. And you figure your feet, well, you'll figure it out as you go. And if you don't, well, it'll hurt. (laughs) You fall on your face. (laughs) Yeah. And we have had some, some pretty good falls, both of us. Yes. But yeah, running has been something that's been really helpful with a little kid whenever you're time crunch. And especially for us, like we didn't have any childcare at all. Like until, I mean, we had, my mother-in-law was helping a bit when we were in Kelowna, but like we had no regular childcare until November. And we were just talking about that. Like it hasn't been that long. And before we were just trying to trade off, like Matt was incredibly supportive and would take, you know, time off so that I would be able to ride my bike, but it still wasn't enough time so that I could train like a professional And that was something that was starting to frustrate me and starting not map, but the fact that I couldn't do the work because that's what I love. I love doing the work. I I couldn't do it. I didn't have time. So that was frustrating to me. So picking up running was something that was awesome because in less amount of time, you can get way more done. And also I was kind of worried because I was running probably three or four days a week and riding my bike probably three days a week. So I, I like to ride my bike six days a week. So that was a huge you know, we talked about courage earlier. You have to have courage and confidence to take your foot off the gas and try something different. And I was worried that I would get slower on my bike. But what I found from doing that running was that I was able to have more torque and more power whenever I was climbing on my mountain bike. So that was pretty fun. And it was also just a really good mental break as somebody who's been, you know, mountain biking since, well, I was, I just went all in. I think it was like in 2003, I went, I found mountain biking. Uh, Two weeks later, I did my first race. And then ever since then, I've trained six days a week on my bike. Like there's been very little breaks, maybe, you know, two weeks off here and there for injuries, but I just never took my foot off the gas. So taking my foot off the gas was really refreshing and it was something that I needed and it was fun. And also like in BC, there's not that many mountain bike races, which sounds crazy. You would think there'd be tons of races here, but there really aren't. And what I noticed is there's actually a ton of trail running races So from a local racing perspective, if you want to just be able to jump in on a race on the weekend, I really wanted to have that, like that ability to just do that because before I couldn't even go for a hike without getting super sore because I was such a one dimensional athlete. And I felt like I was a better athlete after I started running, but you know, moving forward, I have some really big cycling goals this summer and uh, that's going to be probably another podcast to record (laughs) at some point, but it's going to be incredibly humbling to get back to racing this summer. Like it'll have been a three-year hiatus for me, which sounds crazy. And it makes me feel like I feel my throat closing and I get nervous. Like, how has it been that long? And I feel guilty and I feel shame, but that wasn't what I chose. Like in in some regard, like I chose in 2019 or we chose to get pregnant June, 2019. And I raced from January to June. 
but got pregnant and I trained all through my pregnancy, postpartum, if you listen to some of those uh, past motherhood series, I got back into it pretty quickly and I was ready to race three months after my son was born. But that was like, you know, March, April, June, 2020, when the whole world was shut down. So there were no races to do in 2020, which was my, you know, I wanted to get back to racing. Then 2021 rolled around and this is probably going to be so funny in years if we ever come back and listen to this, be like, that was nuts. But, you know, 2021, we're in Canada and Canada is really different than how the Canada's handled the pandemic very differently than the U.S. And there's a lot more government regulation in Canada than in the U.S. So it was really hard. Like I felt like everybody was racing except for me and I wasn't even able to leave the country and I didn't know if I could leave the country because if you left, well, you'd have to stay in a hotel for three days whenever you got back, pay over $2,000, and then you still have to quarantine for another 11 days at home. And our family just couldn't, I just couldn't do that with our family. There's just no way that that was possible. So meanwhile, I'm watching everybody else race and not knowing what the future is going to hold. So then we decided, well, it's not looking like there's going to be any racing for me this year. So I guess if we're going to grow our family, now is a good time to do it. That way, next year, which is this year, I'll actually be able to race if things get better. So long story long, that that means two pregnancies in a pandemic where the world shut down, three years go by and you haven't raced your bike. And you also haven't had the time to put in the work like that you normally would be putting in because of a pandemic. You don't have the childcare and the support and all of that. So it's it's going to be really interesting because I left the sport at the top and I don't expect myself to come back at the top. And that's something that mentally I am working through of like, okay, I'm going to show up to these races and I am probably going to be near the back. And that's going to be incredibly hard on my ego. It's going to require all the <laughs> the mental and emotional tools that I've been working on for years. And, it, but it's also going to be an opportunity to see growth and to maybe even meet new people and be racing with a different perspective than I had before. But my expectation is that I will get back to the top but I think it's going to take me the entire season to build back there. And it's going to just, and it's going to take a lot of work. I'm not afraid of the work. I'm excited about it, but it just, I'm going to be eating a lot of humble pie this year. And that even though I'm going to have a smile on my face and have a positive outlook, that is still going to be freaking hard. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm actually excited for that journey. Like there's not very many times I think that you, you'll get an interesting perspective, like you said, of seeing the race from a different angle and, not all of us have the capacity to race at the front and, and know what that's like, but many of us still go to those races because we love racing. We love the atmosphere. And I think it'll be interesting to see, well, first of all, where, where in the field you actually end up. Cause you know, that will be, that'll be one thing, but also the experience that you'll get from, Hey, I'm racing to win, or I'm racing to maintain my win versus maybe I'm racing to be on the podium, or maybe I'm racing just to complete. And there's, there's, but there's value in all of those things. And you haven't raced mid-pack just to complete for a long, long time. And you have done that before, but it's been, been many, many years. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how, from your perspective, what that feels like versus from somebody else's. Cause you've seen, you've seen the back and you've seen the front and not everyone's seen the whole, the whole shebang. Yeah, I think pregnancy is a great place to practice that perspective taking. <laughs> Matt and I went for a ride with my brother or Matt's brother, my brother-in-law over the weekend in North Vancouver because there isn't any snow there. And man, I was getting passed by so many people and it was it was really humbling. And I 
like I'm eight months pregnant. I don't have the core strength to ride up and over super steep and technical things. And it was wet and I wasn't even willing to try because I didn't want to slip out and then fall off my bike. So I was having to like get off my bike and walk things on the downhill too. And just have all these people just, and Matt actually said there wasn't that many people passing, but it felt like so many people were passing us. And as we were doing that ride, I said to myself, like, look, this is frustrating it's going to be like times 10 whenever I'm out racing, because that is what it's going to feel like. It's probably going to feel like everybody's passing me, even though maybe not everybody's passing me. And that my expectations of where I should be are, you know, I'm going to have to adjust those, but yeah, it's going to be an interesting journey. Authenticity is one of my values. So I'm happy to share what that's like as I go through that. And yeah, I mean, I hope that I get back to the level that I was at and I should, but you know, there's the odd chance that I don't, and I have to be okay with that too. So it's, it's, it comes back to like doing your best, loving the process. And the reason that I race my bike isn't because I have to win every single race. It's because I love riding my bike. And through this entire time, like I've just been quietly working away here in Canada at all the things that I've been doing with my head down with no community, you know, to like no bike community to plug into. And I still just absolutely love riding my bike. And I think that that is that's how I've been able to do this. Like I've been racing my bike. It's been almost 20 years, which is crazy, but I just really love riding my bike. So I think we're going to close this out. Just talking about our second baby that we're expecting. Uh, it was kind of interesting because number one, I actually never wanted to have kids growing up. And even in my twenties, I said, I'm never having kids. It's not something I'm interested in. So Bradley, if you're ever listening to this, which you probably won't be listening to, that's our son. Um, (laughs) I really was so excited to have Bradley by the time we decided that we were going to have kids. And we decided to have kids because I had to reverse engineer in my mind and and Matt can tell what he thought, but I had to think, will I regret it if I don't have kids? And part of it is like, there's never a good time to have kids, especially if you have a career, especially if you're a professional athlete, there's never a good time to do it. But I'm so glad that we had Bradley and even after we had Bradley, I wasn't sure if I wanted to have another kid. The The experience of being pre- of pregnancy and birth was something that I didn't really enjoy. I don't know if there are other people that do enjoy that, but I just couldn't even imagine it. But over time, the idea of having a second kid sort of started popping into my mind and became something that we that I and that we wanted. And it was just like getting pregnant the first time. If it didn't happen that's fine. And we could be totally happy with one, but we decided that, yeah, we were going to give it a go and have, try to have a second kid. And the timing of that, it was a little bit, we started trying a little bit sooner than I probably would have liked in terms of uh, spacing between children. But because I want to race this year and I didn't want to take a fourth year off, we had to choose that timing. And you can listen to my last podcast that I recorded. It was a solo episode. And I talked about you know, we tried for a couple of months. I had a couple of miscarriages and then this pregnancy actually started as a twin pregnancy. It's now one baby girl who is healthy so far at 34 weeks. But yeah, so we're really excited to have a second baby and I'm nervous about what all of that can mean because you always hear, oh, the second kid just makes things so much harder and it's going to like, you're you're just about to get so much busier and, and this and that. But again, that's that screening process. Like whenever we had one kid, people were told us like, your life is going to end and it's going to be so hard. And, and there are hard moments, but I generally wouldn't agree with those comments that people were making. So we'll see how it goes with our second kid. I think, yeah, choosing to have a second kid was an interesting journey. You know, yeah, a lot of our sort of friends and, and, uh, 
things we read said, oh, two, two is way harder than one, and you, you lose your more of your time. But we started thinking about what it's going to look like in sort of one, three, five years from now, what it's going to look like for Bradley to have a sibling, and what it's going to look like as a family unit. And I think we wanted the, the dynamic of having a little bit of a bigger family. Not that two kids is a massively big family, but I think it's quite likely going to be that much more difficult in the early stages, but there's going to be all these other benefits that are going to come from it later on for Bradley, but also for us. So yeah, I think we were both sort of prepared to say, hey, we're we're not afraid of the work and we really like, we love having a little guy, Bradley, and we're excited to see what number two is, who this little person is going to be when they come. Yeah. And I also think that because we've already had a baby, like before we had, like I didn't have any experience with kids. So I, I don't even know. I think I might've changed one or two diapers in my entire life. Like I just didn't have any experience with kids. So now it's kind of fun because I actually have experience and I know what to expect. So this pregnancy in some ways has been easier because I know what I'm getting at the end of it. And that makes it fun. And we talked about this uh, during my first, our, my, our first pregnancy, but I guess, I don't know if it's our or my, <laughs> but it was a little bit harder because we said, well, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know how how awesome it's going to be. And if it's going to feel like it's worth it because being pregnant is hard um, and giving birth is hard. So yeah, I'm super excited. And I know Bradley doesn't quite understand what it means, but he genuinely seems excited about the idea of having a baby. Like he see, he keeps saying baby's coming soon. And he goes in the baby's room all the time. He's like baby's room and he's excited. So yeah, we'll see how that all plays out. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm not exactly sure what number two baby is going to be like, so I'm pretty sure Bradley hasn't got his head around that yet either. <laughs> but uh, be that as it may, I'm hoping that, yeah, he is excited when, when he sees his little sister show up, which will be really, really fun. And he actually really seems to like little kids, which is funny because you put him around other babies and he likes to hold their hands and he's just a really... He's a really gentle, sweet kid, which makes it easy. He's not trying to step on their face. And I'm sure that'll happen. Like, I'm sure as, you know, he has a sister, he's going to try testing the bounds of like, can I step on this thing? And can I push it? And all these things. But for the time being, he's just a really sweet, gentle kid. And he loves other kids and other other little babies. So we'll see. Well, it'll be a fun adventure. Really, the one that's really suffering the brunt of all this is our dog, Baxter. Like, he... Well, first of all, he was just going absolutely insane running through the house. And as we were recording this, I posted it on my Instagram of what we were dealing with over here. But yeah, like my friend, other friends that have dogs and also have had a baby have talked about this. And we have guilt around like dog mom guilt because the dog like literally was the center of your your universe. Like all my pictures of my phone were of my dog. And like I was obsessed with my dog. And now like I, I just I like my dog, but I'm definitely not obsessed with my dog. I don't take pictures of him that often. And like the poor dog, like he, he still gets attention. He still goes out for walks, but it is not like it was before. So he's probably like, oh my God, like when everybody sees a second, a second kid coming. <laughs> yeah, he took it pretty hard. He, he didn't take it well the first one. So he's, he's bounced back nicely. So we'll see what number two does to him. But he's still like Bradley legitimately loves throwing the ball and trying to play with him, but he'll like, just ignore Bradley completely when Bradley's trying to play with him. And He's just going to have to embrace that he's going to have these little buddies that want to play with him. And it's not just about dominating for attention. <laughs> yeah. If you could only reason with Baxter, then... A terrier. Th- yeah. No, it'll be fun. <laughs> That's Baxter is just going to be Baxter. I feel like there needs to be terrier support groups because terriers are so incredibly stubborn and crazy. And we didn't realize <laughs> this before getting our dog. And uh, as we've met more terrier owners, we, we're realizing that, oh... 
this is actually normal for a terrier. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yep, they're special, all right. So one last question I want to ask you, Matt, is as our son has gotten older, as we mentioned, he's turning two in March. How is your perspective and or role as a father change in your relationship? Because when they're a baby, it's it's just different when you're the guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the the older that Bradley gets, the more that I feel I have a relationship with him because he can he can ask for me. He wants me to to hang out with him or put him to bed or or whatever it happens to be. When he's a little baby, yeah, it's so much around the comfort of mom and 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 obviously food and breastfeeding and all these things that mom can do that dad uh, doesn't or can't. You're not going to wear that, that uh, what is it, <laughs> whatever that thing is meet in the Meet the Fockers, the, the, the man boob thing. <laughs> uh, no, no, thank you. So yeah, no, it's every month that goes by and he gets more, his little personality develops more. It's, it, he just, yeah, you're, you feel more and more connected to your kid and more in love with them, which is crazy when you think about it, but yeah. It's, it just literally gets more and more and more fun because I think as, as a father, you have a connection with the little one and they are your, your little person, but it's, it's very different when you're the mother, I think. Um, again, I can only speculate, but for me, certainly the older he gets, the more I feel like he's my little guy and I love him and yeah, it's fun. And super fun when they, I mean, most of you guys listening probably already have had kids and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But for us, this is like super novel. Um, when your kid starts talking it's just a completely different experience. And, and Bradley just has exploded with his vocabulary and his talking. And it's just so much fun to just see this little personality. And we're just always surprised at how smart he is and how observant he is and all these concepts that he strings together because you forget, like we've always tried to tr- treat him as a person with respect, but you still just get surprised like, oh my gosh, I, I you can barely talk and you're like putting these concepts together. And I can only imagine as they get older, the things that they start putting together or the things they start noticing about you that they tell you about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's, and I'm sure every parent sees this as their kids start to talk is that just usually once or twice a day. Now you're just shocked and surprised by the leap this, this child appears to have made. It's probably just because their vocabulary is catching up to where their brain's already been for a length of time, which is the mind blowing part. It's, this isn't probably new. It's just that their vocabulary is caught up to what they're thinking, but one of my favorite little Bradley moments was Son- he was doing something that Sonia didn't like. And Sonia said, don't do that, Bradley. That make- Mama doesn't like that. It makes Mama upset. And Bradley looked up and said, um, Mama, be happy. <laughs> <laughs> and like, we've never said, Bradley, be happy. We've never strung that together or said, don't worry or anything like that. He just looked up and was like, don't worry, Mom, be happy. And he kept doing what he was doing that was... Throwing food. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like, all right then. <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for today's podcast. Thank you to Matt for rallying. Again, it's we record these. It's after Bradley goes to bed when we just want to sit and watch Netflix, which is what we do a lot of nights. I don't know if I'm embarrassed to say or not, but that's what we do a lot of nights. And we find it very relaxing. Thanks again for listening. And I hope that you enjoyed this solo episode. It was nice to take a break from some of these more research-based episodes that I put out once a month. And if you like that type of thing, I'm not stopping doing those. We just wanted to check in on a a parenthood podcast and subscribe to my newsletter if you're really enjoying that solo episode, because every single week I spend, well, now it's turning into hours as I search new topics, hours researching these new topics and writing about them and sharing them with you. And I really enjoy doing it. So you can find that at sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. 
Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show if you are enjoying it and share the show with others if you think it might help them as that is the best way to help us keep this thing growing and keep this thing going. Big thanks to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon and PayPal. That does not go unnoticed every single month. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. And I'll see you right back here with an interview next week.